But I don't think anyone will be falling asleep in church today. Or you'll dream of bones. Speaking of bones, we had a um, challenge here on our church community the last few weeks. We had a challenge about health and fitness. And uh, technically, it ended on the 25th, which was a week ago Sunday. And I was wondering, since I wasn't here last week, if any of you made it to the end of the challenge. We, um, some of us were taking a vegan challenge. Some were taking a vegetarian challenge or an exercise challenge. How'd y'all do? Anybody make it to the end? Don't answer that. All right. But I wanted to fill you in on what my family has been going through. So my kids were counting down the days. And in fact, on Sunday afternoon, they were looking at the sun and saying, is it down yet? Is it down yet? It's sundown. We're free. (laughs) After a little bit of discussion, my wife and I told the kids, you know, I think we should be a plant-powered family from now on. And the kids almost had a full-on mutiny on our family. But it's been good for us. It's been very good for us. I haven't tested my IQ, but I'm assuming it's 10 points higher at least. (laughs) But what I can tell you is, A, we survived. Still here. Not skin and bones yet. Still here, and uh, we've been exercising. And between my wife and I, we lost a few pounds. So we're doing good. Doing good. And we encourage you. We encourage you, if you took some steps to change your eating habits or your exercising habits, to keep it going. And just in case you needed extra incentive, a new study came out this week uh, expressing without a doubt that uh, certain kinds of processed meat are high, uh, high um, uh, risks for cancer. In fact, the story in the USA Today said that hot dogs have a certain percentage of human DNA in them. Did you read that story? Did it make you want to go to Wiener Schnitzel and just chow down on one of those? Well, the science is out there. Everybody knows it. We knew it all along, but everybody knows it. So I'm encouraging myself, my family, and you to stay on your plans. Make a plan. Change your habits. Pursue God's design for our lives. Earlier this summer, my wife and I and her family took a vacation. We had a summer vacation, and we did something we've never done before. We rented an RV. Now, I'm sure there are some of you guys here who have been RVing before. You know all about the RV lifestyle, but we, I never thought she said, should we go in an RV? I said, who does that? Uh, but we did. The kids were excited. We rented an RV here uh, in, in, in North County, and we went on a trip, and, and we had a blast. We had a, so much fun. Uh, it was like camping without all the camping, you know. Um, and one of the things that you do when you're RVing, you, you go to these special RV pe- uh, camping sites where you pull up to a driveway, and then you hook up water, electricity, and it's like you're at home, basically. It was pretty awesome. Uh, they have a swimming pool. So. We went camping the way Mr. Paul Mugane would like to go camping. Um, so we're inviting you to our next RV trip, Mr. Mugane. There's room for you. And, and, and while we were there, uh, we, we stopped in um, uh, San Luis Obispo. We were at a camping site there. Camp, 
I'm using that loosely, so it's a camping site there. And while we were parked there, all these other, we had never really paid attention. All these people love RVing. Uh, and a lot of them are of a certain age. Uh, they're, you know, retired and they're cruising the country and going from place to place. And, and as we were hanging out there, I looked over at my wife and I said, man, this is the life right? Don't you just want to retire? So we came home from summer thinking, A, we've got to retire, and B, we need an RV. Like, that's, that's the thing. Uh, I've been looking forward to retiring since the day I started working. How about you guys? Yes? Yes? In fact, the day I married my wife, I said, I got a five-year head start on you, so, you know, I'm going to retire that much quicker. And, of course, you know, she's a doctor, so I told her, the day you get your first paycheck, I'm hanging up the cloth. She, of course, has not allowed that yet, and we all know she's the boss, so that's just how it goes. But I have been thinking about retiring, um, this pursuing the open road in my big RV. <laughs> and yet for many of us, although we dream about retiring, it's kind of like a far-off reality. In fact, it's a far-off reality even for many who are close to retirement age. Do you know, do you know, I shared this with uh, First Service, do you know that um, researchers say that for college graduates of the year 2015, that's this year's college graduates, they will get to retire at the young old age of 75 years old. The current retirement age is like 67 and three months, something like that. It used to be 65 but it keeps going up, right? Social security benefits and you don't get full max until you keep going and going. But researchers say that based on the increasing price of rent, the cost of living, and y'all know San Diego is very, very expensive. Amen? Can I get a witness, anybody? No? Okay. But not only the cost of living, but simple educational expenses. By the time you're done with college, those of you guys that are graduating and getting closer there, you know, you got a nice size loan to carry. Some of us are still paying ours. And so they say that due to all these factors, graduates of the class 2015 will finally be able to retire when they are 75 years old. Can you believe that? How'd you like to be working full-time until you're 75? Well, for some, that's like sweet because they love work. But uh, others of us would rather be driving RVs and touring the country. But what are you doing to prepare for your retirement? Are you preparing for your retirement? Do you have a savings account, IRA, 401k? I don't even know the words. 401k, Roth IRA. Do you have one? Do you, do you know what it is? Does anybody? Most of us are not paying too much attention. I remember my first uh, month on the job, they send you to a training session and they talk about retirement. And they had all these meetings, but I was like, I'm 26. Like, pfft. What do I care, right? So when they give you this paper, they say, do you want to save this much or that much? I'm like, what? I, what are you talking about? Most of us have not really been that concerned. There are some that are industrious, but most of us are not. In fact, many people think that we could just save later. Like, I won't worry about retirement now, but when I get close, then I'll start putting money aside. <laughs> it's for many, a strategy, and others of us are a little wiser. We marry doctors, and then that's how we do it. <laughs> Can I get an amen from somebody? Can I get it? No one, okay. 
Of course, she's going to kick me out after today's sermon, so. The truth is, the truth is, for many of us, although we think about finances, although we surround ourselves with uh, concerns about finances, we are not doing all that well in this area. Researchers came out with a a published report just this week on on October 25, published by a a website called Go Banking Rates, which they said that approximately less, approximately 62% of Americans, as close to two-thirds of Americans, have less than $1,000 in their savings account. $1,000 in their savings account. Two-thirds of Americans. Now, $1,000 sounds like a lot to an 11-year-old. But to the rest of us, you know that $1,000 won't get you very far, right? One trip to the transmission place. In fact, a couple of trips to Costco and 1000 bucks are gone. Right? $1,000. of Americans don't have a savings account at all. At all. That means they are unconcerned about what they call a rainy day. Uh, a rec- uh, another st- study that came out in September <clears throat> asked, what do Americans worry most about? Uh, it was, uh, it's called the Life and Money Survey. And what do you guys think the number one concern, the number one worry in Americans' lives are, uh, a daily worry? Is it your health? Obviously not. <laughs> Is it uh, fitness? We're in Southern California. You got to look good. No, it's, it's money. It's finances. That's the number one thing Americans worry about on a daily basis. We worry about money, but we're not actually doing anything about it. Does that sound familiar to you? Worrying, worrying, but not doing much about it. What are we doing? What is our plan? How are we going to get there? I just told you that uh, millennials, sorry guys, you guys aren't going to retire until you're millennium old. So what are we doing, parents, and how are we going to prepare? My wife and I have three kids. Of course, we think about what, how they're going to get through college. And by the way, it used to be go to state college. It's free. It's not free. It isn't free. It still costs a lot of money. So what are we doing? <clears throat> well, according to another survey, 45% of parents expect their kids to get scholarships based on merit. Not need, but merit. That means Guys who are getting ready to college, your parents expect you to get good enough grades to fund your own way. Amen? Going to get a witness? Come on, parents. Come on. That's right. That's right. But do your homework. The pastor said. 13% of parents expect their kids to get sports scholarships to get them through. Because, of course, you have the next Michael Jordan in your house, right? Or next great baseball player lives with you. You know these parents, you might be one of them. You're at uh, sporting events yelling at the ref and, uh, no? Okay, just me. All right, sorry. And 16% of parents expect the grandparents to kick in. (laughs) Grandparents are like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going RV. (laughs) That's our plan. That's our plan. That somehow the kids will pay for themselves, somehow the grandparents will do it. That's kind of our plan. We are worried about money, but we're not preparing for the future. Does that sound familiar? 
And it's an interesting thing. Yeah, I, it was a dead giveaway, right? I'm wearing green. We're talking about money. We're starting a new series on personal finance uh, this week, and for the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about money. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about uh, really uh, everyday life things, like what you eat, how you exercise, take care of your body, and what is going through your mind. We're talking about mental health. Because what we want to do, friends, is, is take what God has given us and let it incorporate our lives, not just church lives, but our entire lives. So now we're going a little bit deeper. We're going into your pockets. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about finances. And you know that we're Americans, so there's a lot of money to go around, but never, never enough. Amen? Come on, you know it's true. Never enough money. Uh, a recent survey by Consumer Report says that this coming year, this was actually published in 2014, so you tell me if it's true or not, that in the year 2015, <clears throat> uh, 54% of Americans said that they'll spend more money than the previous year on electronics. They just spend more money this year than last year on electronics. If you got a new iPhone, you say amen because they're not cheap. They said 33% of Americans will have to buy new appliances in the year 2015. Did you buy a new appliance? New fridge, new, new microwave, new appliances. That's right. 27% said, I'm going to get a new car in 2015. New cars in 2015? Mm. Or home remodeling. Home remodeling, if you're one of the lucky few. Americans said that they're spending more money also on groceries, personal care items, and TV service. And like I told first service, Cox just raises the rates for no reason at all. Amen? Right? You're like, what? What happened? What? And then it's just, and no explanations. Well, it costs more money, but we're not necessarily making more money. So what are we doing with it? What are we doing it? Do you know the researchers say that 57% of American households do not have a budget? That's close to two-thirds of Americans don't have a budget. That means two-thirds of us, oh, let's pick the good ones. Okay, you guys are the good ones. But the rest of y'all don't have a budget. Two-thirds of Americans don't have a budget. That means you don't really know how much should be going to what. You just hope that there is money there when you swipe the card or write the check and who uses checks anymore anyway now with the chip and with apple pay I, I didn't even know like my phone was it asked me for it when i turned it on and and then i was like okay why do you have need to have my credit card but it just pops up i'm walking by something it's like you want to pay you want to pay you want to pay it's crazy 57% of American households don't have a budget. That means we're not really sure how much should be staying or going. We're just kind of going. And although there is plenty of money, we are always worried because there is not enough. So what are we doing with our money? Where's it going, guys? No one? Okay. See, nobody knows. All y'all don't have a budget. You don't know where it's going. It's very difficult because there's so many things that demand that we pay. So many things demand that we exercise our spending power. It's part of our economy. Here, especially in Southern California, we exist on a service economy. We don't produce anything. We just spend. That's how we keep things going, right? So that's what I tell myself. I'm just keeping the economy going. Do my part. Just do, keeping the economy going. 
But is that the way we are supposed to conduct ourselves? Let's talk about money. Open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Where are you going, Jason? This is your favorite subject. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Jason. I just had to do that. And I know you love me, so we're good. We're good. I just had to do that. That's the cue for everyone else. Go ahead, sneak out now while everyone's laughing. Let's talk about money. Chapter 25, the book of Matthew, chapter 25, one of the most like, commonly known and, and, and well-studied stories about money. It's called the parable of the talents. We're going to try to go through it quickly, so follow along. It's found in Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. Here Jesus is speaking, and he's talking to the people. He's been trying to explain to them the kingdom of God, what it's like to belong to the kingdom of God. And he says this, again, the kingdom of God, verse 14, read along with me. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you, or in that brand new iPhone 6 Plus you got, and you're, you can pop that up too. The kingdom of God is like a man going on a journey who called the servants together and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents. Some say about five, a, a, a talent would be worth $1,000, give or take, probably a little bit more now with inflation. To one, he gave five talents of money to another two and to another one, and each according to his ability. That's key, but we'll talk about it later. Then he went on his journey... And the man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent, he went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned to settle accounts with them. You familiar with the story? Have you ever heard of the story? Just, yes? Amen? Amen? Yes? Okay, good. Good. I'm glad. Because by the time I'm reading it, you're like, you're identifying already with who you are. All right? Spoiler alert. Don't be the last one. Okay, here we go. So, after a long time, the man came back and to settle accounts with them. Verse 20. And the man who had received the five talents brought the other five. And he said, Master, you entrusted me with five talents. You see? I've gained five more. And his master replied, read with me. Well done. Good and faithful servant, exclamation mark. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. No amens for that? Okay. Doesn't that sound like a fantastic line to hear? Come and share in your master's happiness. It's awesome. Like, wouldn't you want to hear that from your boss? And the man with two talents also came. Master, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many. Come and share in your master's happiness. Fantastic. Fantastic. And then the man who had received one talent. Now he was thoughtful. And he said, master, I knew that you were a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. And see, here it is. Everything that belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I return, I would have received it back at least with interest. So now take this talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more. 
and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even the little that he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant out into the darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's something to love in this story for everyone. Right? Right? So I don't know who you identify with. I'm not sure. Maybe you're the person with the five talents. I was mentioned these are the entrepreneurial types in the church family who are like, yeah, I'm got to get money. got to get mine. God gave me this ability and I'm out there. I'm hustling it. I'm making money because you got to have money to make money. Right? Okay, none of you guys. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. You're humble. You're not me. I don't have five times. God didn't give me that much. I don't have a lot, Pastor. I just got a little. Maybe you're the kind with the two talents. You weren't entrusted with five. That would be, you know, that, that'd be too much. You could be avenous, by the way, because that would just be too much. It's more sensible to have two. Five is a lot, but two, you know, it's not one, but it's not five. It's two. And you didn't take two and try to make it into ten. You just took two and made two. That's sensible. That's Adventist. That's dutiful. You worked. You didn't, you didn't ask for too much, and you didn't make too much. You just did what was right. So when the master came back, you said, see, I did work, but I'm not showing off like that guy with the five talents. I just took two and made two. I am responsible. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're just a hard worker. You're not asking for a lot of recognition. You just want to do what you're supposed to do. But no one usually identifies with number one. I mean, the last one, number three. No one identifies with the one who got one talent because uh, that person says he was afraid and he went and he hid it. Have you ever hidden money? Yes? In the ground? You, Pablo Escobar, what, what, you hit it in the ground? <laughs> my grandmother, my abuelita, this lovely, wonderful person, would always try to save money for me when I got home from college. That's how I made it through college. My grandma slipping me a little bit of money. One day I came home to visit her, and uh, as we spent some time together, she said, oh, 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 wait, I, I, I saved some money for you, but wait, I hid it somewhere, she told me. And she says, let me see, and she begins to, you know, Look for it. In her little apartment, she began to look for it. And she said, I'm sorry, mijo, I can't find it. I don't know where it is. And I said, Abuelita, why do you need to hide money? And she says, you, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> to which I told her, well, you know what, Abuelita, next time you decide to hide some money, why don't you write it on a piece of paper down and, and put it in your Bible and that way, if you need it, you can say, oh, that's where I hit it. She said, oh, that's a good idea. So a few months later, I came back from college and, uh, you know, visited with her. And she, I got to stay alive. Got to go see Abuelita. That's the only way to stay alive. And she says to me, oh, wait, wait, I saved some money for you. And she started doing a thing. And I, and I told her, Abuelita, didn't you do what I asked you? Remember last time? She says, I did write it down. I just can't find the piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever hidden money? <laughs> No one identifies with this person hiding money in the ground. Like, you don't want to be that guy, especially because you know how the story goes, right? The master says, what did you do with the one I gave you? And he says, well, I was afraid to lose it. I didn't want to lose it. And there's some virtue to that, right? You would think, at least in his voice, he says, look, I, I knew you would have been very upset with me if I lost this money. So I didn't lose any. He hears everything that you gave me. And, and, and of course, the owner entrusted this money to him. But not just to 
keep it safe. Do you know that if the owner wanted to keep it safe, he would have never given it to him to begin with? Don't you think? Would it be safer with the boss or with the employee? So instead, he says, well, I knew you were going to ask for more, and then you, you, you gather what you have and scatter. So I was afraid, and I hid it, and see, I didn't lose any. And the master says, you wicked and lazy servant. This is the phrase that most parents like because we look at our kids and we go, you wicked and lazy servant. Get a job, right? Can't live in my house forever. I know you're only 11, but get a job. We like that. You wicked and lazy servant. You should have known. You should have at least got my money back with interest. And still others like this line. For everyone who has will be given more. Yeah, some people like that line because you're all about that money. And you think, hey, that's what God wants. He wanted to give me more. Okay. And others of us like the next line because he says, whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And you say, see, that's why I'm poor because God just took it from me. It's not my fault. But my favorite line is the last one. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I love that line. My dad used it on me when I was a kid and I plan on using it on my kids. Every time I'm threatening them with something, I say, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They don't know what it means. But today I want to call your attention to something that we easily overlook, and it's actually at the very beginning. Would you just read it again with me? Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants, and he entrusted his property to them. That's the key for today. The kingdom of God is like a man who goes on a journey, and clearly here that man resembles our eternal father. And he goes on a journey, and he entrusts his property to the servants. That's the phrase. You see, it all belongs to him. It all belongs to him. That's not my words. Those are his words. It's in Exodus chapter 19, the verse in your bulletin. If you don't bring a Bible, check out your bulletin or just read it along with me. It's Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. We've been talking about uh, the book of Exodus this, this whole summer and trying to understand God's design for us, God's plan for us. This is where we were challenged with our diet and our exercise and our mental health. And here, God says, you remember, after bringing the people out of Egypt, out of slavery and taking them through the desert and through the Red Sea and through all these difficult circumstances and at the foot of Mount Sinai before he gives the, 20, the, the Ten Commandments, he looks and he says these words, chapter 19, book, book of Exodus. He says, now, verse 5, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. God is offering us a next level relationship. Remember Everything that we've been talking about is not about obligation or duty or oppression. It's about God's invitation to live out our purpose, destiny, taking our relationship with him to the next level. He says, if you do these things, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The kingdom means that we represent the king. Wherever we are on the earth, we say this is his kingdom. I am his subject. He is my king. That's what the kingdom means. And priest means that we gather up all the blessings and all the praise that God deserves and we bring it on a day like today and we offer it to him because that is what he deserves. And nestled in between there where God says, if you obey my commandments, this will be a special privilege. He says, 
although the whole earth is mine. I love it. It's a fantastic line. I'm just saying, everything does belong to me. But just in case you haven't forgotten, the whole earth is mine. It's all mine. His words, not mine. Fascinating, right? God says, although the whole earth is mine, just, just so you know, everything is mine. I don't really like the sound of that. I'm sure you don't either. Because it's so counter us, counter our culture. It's so against everything that we have grown up to believe about stuff. But it begins in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, God creates Adam and Eve. And he puts them in the garden. And he says these words to you, Adam, Eve. I give you. I give you every seed-bearing plant for food. And to the creatures, I give them the other plants. In chapter 2, God says he puts Adam and Eve in the garden to take care of it and to work it. God created it all, right? I mean, we do believe that part, that God in six days created the heaven and earth and everything that is in them. Amen? Amen. And you're here on the seventh day, I hope, because you believe in the God of creation who on the seventh day rested from his creation. And we believe the third angel's message that says that we worship the creator of heaven and earth. And when we come together on Sabbath, that's what we're saying. He's the creator, not me. It all belongs to him, not me. Wait a minute, Pastor. I wasn't sure about that last one. I'm okay with the whole Sabbath thing. I'm okay with him being the creator, but does he really own it all? Well, that's what he says, isn't it? That's why in the story that we just read, Jesus says the man, God, entrusts his property. It doesn't belong to you. It never did. We've been discussing how your body is not yours. My body is not mine. That's what the New Testament says. Remember that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, it does not belong to you. You were paid. You were bought with the price. So don't be messing with something that doesn't belong to you. That's why we've been saying we better watch what we eat, right? So that every act of eating is not an act in self-indulgence, but it's either an act of worship or an act of defiance. Whether I exercise my body or I sit down and essentially smoke, right? Because sitting is the new smoking. Whether I take care of my physical health or I ignore my physical health, it's either an act of obedience and worship to the one who gave me the body, entrusted it to me, or an act of defiance. So you see, God says, you cannot be my kingdom of priests if you reject my kingship. You cannot bring me praise if you reject my blessing. These are opposing values. And so, in that very same way, God is saying here, I am entrusting to you the property, the stuff, the stuff. How many of you guys want more stuff? No one? Liars. Okay, thank you. There we go. There we go. Everyone wants more stuff. That's, we're, that's American. You know, that's, that's why we have walk-in closet. Multiple, right? Did we invent that? I think we did. I think we invented three-car garages. I don't think anybody else has those. We want more stuff. Who doesn't like more stuff? You know what I love about kids? They open a gift. They're like, ah! Next, right? <laughs> you ever seen that? 
They're like, oh, it's so awesome. Ah, okay, nice. Yeah. Birthday parties are like fascinating and sad at the same time. Because we learn really early that there's never enough. That there's always more. There's a newer, faster, better version of whatever you already have. And that's more desirable. We want more stuff, sure. But God says here, all the stuff belongs to me. I'm simply entrusting you with it. And lest you forget, I will call you to account for it. That's Jesus' words, right? The man returns from the journey, and he calls his servant together to settle accounts. That is scary. <laughs> More scary than bones. <laughs> right? Let's be honest, friends. What if God showed up today and said, all right, let's see your online checking account. What's the password? Get, hand over those credit card statements. Let's see what you've been buying. By the way, I love and hate Amazon. It's like the best thing and the worst thing in the world. Everything is on there, and it's so easy to buy. But they already know me on a first-name basis. I don't know how. God says, we will settle accounts. Why? Because everything is mine, and I'm entrusting you with it. You get to manage it. I'm entrusting you with it. Turn your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. After the, after the people of Israel had gotten this warning from God, if you obey me, remember that it's all mine. Then they were supposed to inherit the promised land, but they couldn't. They wandered in the desert for 40 years because they could not rely on God's wisdom and trust his wisdom. And so they spent time chasing their tails for 40 years. And finally, they're about to cross into, into the promised land. Not before a whole generation had to die off, but they're about to. And here, on the precipice of the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, <clears throat> God again warns the people, and, I, and you need to hear it. We're going to talk about it. Chapter 8, beginning with verse 11. And, and through the words of Moses, here it goes. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands. Be careful that you do not forget his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and you are satisfied, when you build fine homes and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, read here your possessions, your cars, whatever you own. When that increases, when your silver and your gold increase, and all that you have is multiplied. Right now, at the moment he's saying this, they got nothing. They're just wandering through the desert, but they're about to take possession of the land that God is giving them. But he says, when you get there and you settle down, and when everything you own is multiplied, listen to this, verse 14, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt who brought you out of slavery, who led you to the desert, who gave you food in the desert, who brought water out of rocks, protected you from snakes and scorpions. He gave you manna from heaven. And you will say to yourself, verse 17, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You work for it, but your ability to work for it comes from the one who owns it all because he owns us too. We belong to him. Dave Ramsey, who um, founded Financial Peace University, a Christian organization that teaches people about how to finance their money and talking on this subject, says that it's sometimes easier for people to honor God when they're miserable than when they have success. Because when we got nothing, that's, oh, God, please help me. 
But when we got everything, we're like, OMG, check me out. The Bible says your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. But we cannot forget this one thing, guys. It's all his. It all belongs to his. My body, my breath, my heart, my soul, my mind, the ability of my hands. It all belongs to him. I'm just managing it. I'm just managing it. And this was hard because it's tough for me too, by the way. I have the same challenges my family does as you. How we eat, how we take care of our bodies, what we allow ourselves to think, and yes, how we spend our money are either acts of honor towards our king or acts of rebellion and defiance to the owner of it all. So what will we do? What will you do with his stuff.